Welcome back to Podcast Recovery, everyone. We are your hosts, David O. And Eric B. Today we are joined by a very special guest and fan of Podcast Recovery, actually. Ashley, how are you doing today? So good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I had, good. I'm wearing a Peaky Blinder hat, but I guess, yeah. Shut up, Eric. I had, no. it's We're great. We're great it's here. Fun. Where are you from, Ashley? Um, I'm from the Chicago land. Oh, currently where? situated in the northern suburbs. I live in Winnetka. I have no idea. Eric lived in Chicago. It's a really rich suburb, and I'm not rich. Oh. Is it near, like, wait, let me try to think. Is it, like, near Evanston or, like, Schaumburg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I work in Evanston. It's, like, 10 minutes from Evanston. Cool. Chicago's awesome. Yeah. Oh, awesome place. All right. I do love it. Well, when were you first introduced to recovery? Somewhere around May of 2016. Nice. And uh, how long have you been uh, sober? Sobriety date is um, December 23rd of 2016. That is a fantastic sober date. It took me about... Thank you. It took me about six months to figure it out, but it felt like 100 years. I hear you. Mm. All right. Well, with (laughs) all that out of the way, we're going to turn it over to you. So pitter-patter, let's get at her. Cool. Thank you, guys. I'm so grateful to be on. Um, Your podcast has been a big part of my sobriety in the past year. Um, So I'm really grateful for the time that you guys put into this. Um, You're welcome. I'll dive into my story. Yeah, thank you. So um, I recently went to a shaman for a healing session, um, and she said that she you know, sees or believes that I come from about five generations of alcoholics. Uh, I've got them on (laughs) both sides of my family. Um, And so that, you know, just kind of paints a picture of what I was born into and what I grew up around. Mm -hmm. Um, And just what was modeled to me. So I think, I've said this before, but I think if you would have asked me as a young child what I wanted to be when I grew up, like, Maybe I wouldn't have the words to say this, but truly I wanted to be a functional alcoholic. <laughs> like I wanted mm. to party super hard, but still be able to like make it to work and make a living. Yeah. And so um, basically I set off on a path to do just that. Um, and from a young age, I'm sure you guys can relate. I mean, I can relate to this when I was drinking, anything that got in my way of drinking was like annoying. And I just wanted that person or or thing or whatever situation to get away from me so that I could drink. Mm -hmm. And so unfortunately, like when I was a child, that's how I felt around my whole family. Like I was an annoyance. So I was like, just please go away so that we could drink. Mm. And so as soon as I was old enough to join the party, I did in full force. So I want to say that I started drinking like in fifth grade ish Mm -hmm. and my family was like pretty open to it too. So I would just drink right alongside them. Um, You guys usually ask, what was your first drink? And I've been thinking about that lately and cracking up because do you guys remember the drink Zima? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I remember the name. Your first one was a Zima? (laughs) 
I'm pretty sure that's what my mom used to drink, and I think that was probably my first sip of alcohol. Oh, God, that's horrible. Which is, like, I don't think around anymore. No, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. even exist. Wow. No, so it was either that or, like, Mike's Hard Lemonade, you know. Yes, um, me too. Which, <laughs> by the way, like, alcohol takes tastes disgusting when you first drink it, but for some reason it's like... Oh, just do it again, and it'll grow on you. Yeah, so it's a weird thing. So basically, like it's so weird. Why? Why do we want that? Yeah, the whole anyway. acquired taste thing is is kind of a fucked up thing. Be like, I know it's disgusting now, it's, but just keep just push through the disgust. It's going to be great eventually. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> So um started drinking pretty young, started hanging out with older people pretty young. And, um, you know, I was doing what my friends that were four or five years older than me were doing, um, which, you know, escalated from drinking to sex to drugs mm-hmm. to, you know, what is the next high and how much higher can I take this? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it wasn't a matter of time like before... Um, like, I went from drinking things like Zima and my car lemonade to, like, started smoking pot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, escalate, escalate. High school turned into drugs. Uh, got pretty heavy into cocaine and ecstasy in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from a small town, by the way, in central Illinois. Very much a farm town. Very much work hard, play hard culture. So... I didn't even really stick out, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone was just doing that. There was nothing else to do in a small town in high school, so we drank a bit drug. Um, so then went to college, and again, it's like, where else can I take this? How much higher can I take this? So really, my drinking dialed down a bit, mm-hmm. and I started, uh, was introduced to like mushrooms and acid and my favorite drug ever was opium. I used to smoke oh, that and do homework. Jesus, <laughs> and, Eric. You know, miraculously. Uh, o- opium's great. No, it's not. I mean, I know exactly I, what she's talking about I right now. I loved it. <laughs> I mean, you guys, I would like get an A plus on my business calculus test. And we would, and I, maybe I shouldn't be saying this because like, don't do opium. Um, but we would, like, go into class the day after a test to go over the test, and the teacher would send me home because I aced the test. And I'm not saying that's because of opium. Um, no, <laughs> it's, I, it's really not. I understand. But, I used to study and get high, too. Like, I get it. Like, I totally yeah, get what you're talking about. Yeah, and, you know, part of my story is that I was a functioning, in some way, alcoholic and used drugs, but I still ended up broken, which I'll get to. So... You know, miraculously, I graduated college in four years. I'm not saying that that's the way anyone else should aim to do it. Um, But that's what it was. And truly through college and up to this point, like, I never thought that my drinking or drugging was a problem Mm. or that I stuck out in any way from anyone around me. Uh, So, you know, during that time, I... Uh, you know, relationships are, or bad relationships are a big part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I just want to say that in college, I think I was 19. Um, I went out with an ex-boyfriend who was bad news. I was also bad news at the time. Yeah. And um, 
got arrested at 19 for underage drinking, possession of like drugs and paraphernalia. I had um, a fake ID, so I think I got like false identification Ooh, and domestic yeah. battery at 19 years old. Um, domestic so, battery? I mean, that didn't even scare me. Wait, yeah. Wait. How did that happen? I was out with an ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> out with an ex-boyfriend. Um, we went to some, like, um, like an all-you-can-drink, an all-inclusive thing. So, of course, I'm like, give me the booziest drink possible. Yeah. Uh, was smoking weed outside at the same time. Blacked out. Like, truly do not quite remember what happened. But I'm pretty sure I punched him, like, in the face in a bar restaurant, and the manager called the police on us, and I got arrested. <laughs> and he, my did, he didn't get arrested. My ex-boyfriend, he didn't, and he had also hit me back, but he was a headbutter, and so oh, he, like, he wait. would strategically place, what? yeah, I think he headbutted me in the forehead or something. Why would you headbutt and somebody so in the, the forehead? Come. Okay. That was his move, you guys. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. He, so he had a come. move, though? Like, yeah, you gotta have a move, dude. Yeah, you guys, I was, yeah, I was in an abusive relationship. This is what happened. Yeah, I had an ex, her and move was throwing lamps. I laugh lamps. now, but... Huh. Oof, yeah. And, you know, my move was that I had a large ring on my finger, which created a, a cut on his face, so I got arrested. Nice. Which was deserved, you guys. You can't punch people. Mm, that's true. Yeah. And that took me a long time to learn. Yeah. That took me a really long time to learn. When I got to my fourth step and tried to find my part in that, it was very hard. Hmm. <laughs> like, it was his fault. But no, you know, I was wrong that night. I was drinking underage. I was doing drugs. I had a fake ID, and I punched my boyfriend in the face. And that's not acceptable behavior. Hmm. So... But, like, that happened. I had to spend a night in jail because the next morning was um, New Year's Day and, like, a judge is not there, so you have to wait to see a judge on the night battery. So I was, like, 19 sitting in jail, you know, and was a pretty good student and all this stuff, but, like, still didn't really scare me at all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was also a time in college that I woke up and looked out the window. I was in my apartment alone, but I looked out my window my car was totaled, but I had driven it home, did not remember what happened. So there were plenty of things that happened that should have scared me that didn't. Mm -hmm. So when I say I never knew I had a problem until later, it's not for lack of crazy experiences. Mm Mm-hmm. So I graduate college, um, and I got a job right away at a bank. So uh, I always say that there should be some kind of life announcement for anyone that, you know, goes, you know, even if you don't go to college, but like somewhere around the 21-year-old mark, there should be like a life announcement that says, hey, I know you've been drinking every day for a while now and partying, but you should probably slow it down because it's actually not really acceptable anymore. That would make it but too of course, easy. that life announcement didn't happen. No. <laughs> right? And then we wouldn't have, like, cool conversations like this in your cool podcast. So, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. so that life announcement did not happen and uh, got this job. And what sticks out to me about this job is, like, I, I joined this beach volleyball, um, you know, recreational league with coworkers. It was super fun. I want to say that we played on, like, let's say Tuesday night. I know it was definitely, 
a beginning part of the week night that we played. Because then it's like, well, I'm definitely going to drink that night. If I'm going to drink Tuesday, then I'm definitely going to drink Wednesday. And then it's totally acceptable to drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I have to drink Sunday because I'm too hungover. Might as well just drink Monday, too. And, you know, my everyday drinking probably started, you know, in college. I did for sure. Um, but, you know, maybe sometimes I would take a break and do some drugs. <laughs> like have some time off of drinking because I was just smoking pot or... Whatever, but, like, my daily drinking consistently every single day started, for sure, at that job right out of school. So, and I found a bunch of people there that liked to party. Like, I worked with a lot of young people. It was super fun. And, again, I was like, I don't see a problem with this. This is great. This is exactly what I was shown how to do. I was, like, I was killing it. <laughs> and, um... But I started being super, it was like hard to get to work because I was so hungover. And I was like, mm. hmm, maybe this, this doesn't feel so good. And I started going to therapy. I don't know what brought me in there. You know what? I do know what brought me in there. Destructive relationships took me to therapy. And, you know, the therapist kind of says, like, how much do you drink? And I'm like, oh, a few drinks a night. Whoa, every night? I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't totally truthful there anyways, and she's alarmed. Yeah. So I was like, hmm. So I kind of started talking to her about drinking, but I'm sure at that point I was not totally honest because I didn't even learn how to be totally honest until I found fellowship. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, basically at that job, people started to notice my drinking. Like there were a lot of social events at that job and my boss would say like, you know, how many drinks are you going to have and then drive home? And I was like, she's annoying. So I found a new job, which is what we do. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this was at a, a location like in central Illinois. And so I found a job about two hours north of the western suburbs of Chicago and picked up right where I started off. Found a group of people that partied just as hard as I did. Mm -hmm. We found the best dive bar in the suburbs and you know, we partied our asses off. And again, I could party and show up to work and I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, miraculously, I had a huge life event that changed my life. I'll give you some background first. Um, my parents were divorced actually before I was born. So you guys go ahead and do that math. <laughs> and wait, I wait, grew up that? with my... <laughs> so my parents were divorced before, actually before I was conceived, before I was born. So they were married, they got divorced, they apparently still had um, interactions, and then my mother got pregnant, and then I was born. Oh, yeah, I'm similar to that. That's no big deal. Yeah, okay. It's not the 1950s so, anymore, we're good. Huh. Totally, totally. Um, so... When my parents, you know, had me, my dad um, was very, a very active alcoholic. And he just basically threw his hands up and said, like, whoa, I can't, you know, help raise a child at all. So um, he went one way, me and my mom went another. And I'm an only child, so it's me and my mom my whole life. Mm. And my dad lived in the same small town. Uh, sometimes I would see him for holidays, but basically it was known from a very 
you know, early age, for me, you know, of course, my mom said, like, he chose alcohol. I know now he was powerless, and Mm. I think he tried several times. You know, I know that he was the type that would drink on the way home from rehab. Mm -hmm. And I know he did go to rehab, like, at least three times. Um, But I watched him slowly over my whole life, um, you know, basically slowly die from the disease of alcoholism. Mm. Uh, But that does not mean that the morning of May 3rd, 2015, when I got a phone call that said your dad died, that I was ready for it at all. I was 24 years old. Like I said, my parents were divorced. My dad never remarried. So the phone call that I got was, your dad died and we need you to come here because we need you to plan the wake and funeral. I said, uh, me? Yeah, so grew up real quick. Yeah. But not not quite then. You know, I still, at that point, really leaned on alcohol to get me through that. And I guess I should have mentioned, like, um, before I got my my first job out of college, I pretty much just quit drugs. Um, You know, I needed to pass a drug test, or I figured I would have to to get a job. And so I just kind of laid the drugs down and haven't touched them since. Uh, But alcohol was a different monster for me. So here I am, 24 years old, drinking a lot of tequila, planning my dad's wake and funeral. He was really the first person close to me that passed away. And so I would say that right then is um, where like a spiritual questioning started to come up for me. Like if he's, if this is his body, then where is the rest of him? Like did not compute, but you know, it was also very hard to process. And as an alcoholic, I was not used to all these feelings. Mm-hmm. I kicked up the drinking again, like turned the volume way up. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> so for six months, I drank heavier than ever. Like now it was two bottles of wine at home at night by myself. And if that wasn't enough, it was a few shots of tequila or gin afterwards to just not feel anything and pass out and you know, really, like, if I, I was like, if I don't wake up, it's fine. This is brutal. Can like, I interrupt for half a second? Period of my life. Yeah. Gin is fucking disgusting. I'm sorry. Like, I drank a lot. <laughs> You're wrong. N- no. And, wrong. like, I was looking at Eric when I thought this. And you said gin, and, like, taking shots of gin. Gin's fucking gross. Like, You're wrong. Mo- like pretty much all alcohol has a level of <laughs> disgustingness to it. And that is just... Bottom of the fucking barrel for me. Gin, if somebody what do you think like, more gross? Gin or whiskey? I loved whiskey. I loved whiskey. You're gross. I'm gross. I, I, Ew. I mean, I liked both, but I'm going to agree with Ashley here that, you know. Dude, you know, <laughs> gin is fucking gross. You it, just don't know what, I mean, I'm we're, we're kind of getting off into like a, I'm a not sick going, place here. I'm but, not going to the Kentucky know. Derby and enjoying a nice gin mint julep or whatever. But, like, I, but I would. But you would. Exactly. Like, exactly. It's, it's a, you so know, I'm it's just, a certain thing, you know. So I'm just a crud ball drinking whiskey. <laughs> Okay. All right. Sorry. Anybody out there, if, if you're drinking gin, well, we I, don't want you know. We want people to be in recovery. You I know. know. And you brought this any, to sick any place. Anybody David. who loves gin out here? there, get to a meeting. It's gross. Anybody who loves whiskey, get yeah, to a fucking meeting. It's gross. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't drink alcohol. Yeah. It's bad. Watch some Barney. Yeah. Hugs, not drugs. Good message. Okay. <laughs> All right. Back to you. Sorry. Okay. Had to interject. 
totally understand. So, dad dies, drink, drink, drink. Um, at the six month mark of my dad's death, I, well, you know, because after he died, like every beer that I took to my mouth, he was a beer drinker. So every beer, every glass of wine, like every time I would, you know, make that motion, lifting the drink from table to lips, like I, I finally knew that it wasn't good anymore. You know, like I couldn't deny anymore. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm just doing what I was taught to do. No, it was like, you're going to die. Like your dad, if you keep doing this. So at the six month mark, I somehow like miraculously broke my everyday drinking, you know, like years of everyday drinking. And I somehow broke it on my own. I don't know how many days I made it, maybe seven, but I do know that like I had the shakes and I was like having night sweats and night terrors Mm. and I was 24 years old. And I thought like, this isn't, Like, I was so much in denial. I was like, I couldn't really be this affected by alcohol at this age. But, and I remember too, like, um, you know, I had to get like blood work done, like my annual blood work and my liver enzymes were off. And I was like, this, you know, this can't be right. I know I drink every day, but this can't be right. Like, (laughs) I know I drink, you know, (laughs) like, I know I drink hard alcohol, but this can't be right. You know what I mean? I'm too young. But I hear that a lot from people who drink. Huh? I hear that a lot from like friends of mine who drink when they get their like lever, liver enzyme levels back. That's like the same reaction. Yeah. It's I hear yeah. that like surprise. You guys, it wrecks your body. Oh yeah. No matter how old you are, like mm-hmm. it takes a toll a toll. And so, you know, a mixture of a few things like started to wake me up, which I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. And you know, I broke the everyday drinking kind of on my own, but of course I I couldn't stay sober any amount of time. I remember I used to write days on my bathroom mirror before I had ever gone to a meeting. And like, I didn't even know that meetings existed or that there was a fellowship of people that stayed sober together. I had no idea. I did not know anyone really? that was sober or had ever attempted to be sober. I had no clue. Hmm. And I remember after going to a meeting, I was like, oh, maybe this is what like that TV show was talking about or this meeting <laughs> reference was. I had no clue. Yeah. And so for six months, I tried really hard on my own to manage my drinking myself, which, you know, I don't know if you guys tried to do this too, but heard it a lot. Like, I'm going to try to have one drink. I'm going to try to only drink on these days of the week. I'm going to try to only drink on holidays or not on holidays or if it's a happy occasion or a sad occasion. Like, I tried it all for six months. It wore me out. And, uh, you know, like started Googling, why, why can't I stop drinking or Wait, what you is Googled alcoholism? why you can't stop drinking? Yeah. Haven't you Googled that? I, I love it. No, no, I have not. No, I, awesome. I'd like, I to like it. Google that right now. Yeah. Eric. I want to see what comes up. Hold, hold on. That might be the title of this yeah. episode, you know? I I googled why I can't stop <laughs> drinking. That's a hundred percent the title of this episode. That's great. Okay, continue. <laughs> so at about so I did that for six months. About six months later, you know, upon Google searching, <clears throat> I found out that there was a group of people that got together and tried to stay sober together and and work the steps and mm-hmm. and share the message. And so I stumbled into a women's group at the sober fellowship 
And there were so many women in there, you guys. It was more women than I've ever been in a room with before, and it made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. I was really only comfortable with abusive, chaotic men at this point. Yeah. So I walked in, I sat down, and of course they say, is this anyone's first meeting? I raised my hand. They started clapping. I started crying. That <laughs> like, why right. are they clapping for me? This is... This is not something to be celebrated. You guys are all assholes. <laughs> Why are you playing this joke on me? <laughs> so then, of course, they took me to do a first step with three other women, um, which I could give my opinions on that right now, but, you know, maybe I won't. I, okay, I will. I, you know, it's meant to be done one-on-one, in my opinion, as it is, as it says in the big book. But anyways, three women took me in another room and basically told me, some really brutal drinking stories. Like I remember this one woman was Irish. She had a really cool Irish accent and um, said, you know, that she used to run on her treadmill when she was wasted and she fell down and cracked her head open and had to get staples. And Why so, would you do that? What do you think I did? Why would you tell me that? And so I immediately was like, oh, thank God I'm not an alcoholic and I don't have to come back here. Mm. So I left and I didn't come back for six months. So another six months of trying to manage it on my, on my own. And my, like, somehow I, like, was able to make it to 30 days quite a few times, but 30 days was absolutely my breaking point. I mm-hmm. could not go past that. And, uh, you know, it was confusing during that time because I had enough evidence where I definitely knew that I had a problem and I shouldn't be drinking. And so that was enough to, like, help me manage it sometimes. Like, what I'm saying is that sometimes I could have one drink. And then I would go to bed and I would wake up in the morning and say, see, I'm fine. And, you know, I could maybe do that again the next time. So then I was like, I'm, I'm totally good. But then one drink would turn into two, would turn into tequila all night, would turn into making really bad decisions. And... Then no, I would wake tequila up and, say, oh, and bad shit, decisions? Gonna... That never happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tequila was like, <laughs> that was my, uh, you know, and really, you guys, I just wanted to escape. And, yeah. Mm. And so I'll get into a little bit, like, you know, once I took away the alcohol, I still wanted to escape. And so, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's the, like, which came first, the tequila or the hooking up with random men, Um it still happened without the tequila. So, you know, I had, I can use that as an excuse, but I, I really can't. Mm-hmm. So, so another six months of trying really hard and, and could not, couldn't get it on my own. And so, you know, I got humble and Googled again, where's a meeting that's not 35 women, the same meeting that I went to before. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the grace of God, I stumbled into a big book meeting. It was mixed sex, but there were a lot of strong women in there. And uh, I only went to a couple meetings and kept hearing that, like, it's not meetings that will keep you sober. It's getting a a sponsor and working the steps. Mm -hmm. So I was like, "Uh, I guess I got to get a sponsor. So um, (laughs) I went up to this, like, really sweet, gentle, kind, old, older gentleman and like kind of whispered, like, I think I need a sponsor. Like, do you know of a woman I could work with? Cause they also said, you know, you should try to, you know, get with the same, 
sex, you know, if you're a woman, you need a woman's sponsor. So uh-huh. I, I hoped that this gentle man could find me a very gentle woman that would put up with my bullshit. But he immediately kind of shouted, like, that girl over there, like, that's who you need to work with. And he, you guys, he pointed to the scariest girl in the room. Like, yeah. she was she was speaking serious truth. She had just shared about how she sat by her, you know, grandpa's side as he was dying on hospice and she held his hand. And I thought, I never want to do that shit. That's way too hard. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he paired me up with her and gratefully I knew that if I don't figure this out, I will die. And that is the only reason why I said, yes, I will meet for coffee with this scary girl who became, (laughs) she's so not scary. She's Mm -hmm. wonderful and has, you know, such a huge heart. So she was my first sponsor. She took me through the steps. I think I worked them like, I don't know, maybe in about nine months. Did not want to do the fourth step. Did not want to do the fifth step, but I knew to, like, if I do not do this, I will drink, and to drink is to die, and that's the only thing that helped me drag myself through those steps. Um, I remember in step five, you know, I did mine in two chunks, and, you know, I did the first one, which took about four hours, and and then needed to schedule more time with my sponsor, and she had a lot of stuff going on in her life at that point. Like, her brother was graduating from high school, going to prom, and I thought that it was so rude of her <laughs> to not prioritize me over that. Like, mm-hmm. I really, that's how selfish I was. Mm-hmm. And I went for a walk one morning, and, like, the sun was rising, and I seriously had this awakening that was like, oh, my God, it's not all about me. Like, her brother is graduating, and she wants to be there with him. What must that be like? Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, my heart opened, right? Um so I waited. I said, you know, what's what's the hurry? And so, seriously, it was probably like a one-week delay. Finished my fifth step, um, you know, got through the rest of them. I'm still making amends today, but I have worked all the steps, and I sponsor two women currently, which are the biggest blessing ever. They reflect back to me all of the defects that I still struggle with, and... And, you know, they call, like, right when I'm (laughs) struggling with something or about to make a bad decision, my phone rings. And it's almost always a sponsee or a program friend. And, like, the miracles of this fellowship are just so cool. Mm. So, um, So they're a huge blessing. And what else have I not talked about? I mean... Working the steps was really brutal, but I'm a completely different person today than I was, you know, three years ago, three years ago and my whole life before then. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm reliable. I can call you guys at six o'clock when I say I'm going to, and that's way more than I could do a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I can speak truth. Oh, I know what else I want to talk about. So after about a year in the program, my sponsor, you know, kept noticing that the same things were coming up in my 10th step. And it was like, oh, talking to this this guy that I'm not actually interested in. Oops, I slept with this guy that I'm not interested in. Oops, I'm talking to this guy, too. And she's like, you know, Ash, you, I'm seeing a problem here. And, hmm. you know, you did a great job working the steps. Do you want to work them again? 
with a focus on relationships. And so I said, yes, and we did. And I got a lot out, kept repeating the same behavior. I was stuck in repeat, exactly like drinking. Hmm. Kept hitting that wall, like better and better and better. Nope, here we go again, same cycle. And so she kind of told me like, hey, there's a fellowship for this, for people who um, suffer from sex and love addiction. And I, I think you need to check it out. And mm. it went from gentle nudging to like, you're going to get your ass into this because you're getting yourself in trouble and, you know, you need to check yourself. So I did go into that fellowship. And I will say that that fellowship was, uh, I want to say harder than the sober fellowship because, and it was harder. And it was harder because I took my, I took my sober tools, I took the tools that I used to stay away from alcohol and I try to apply them to relationships. And, mm-hmm. you know, relationships are process addiction. Alcohol is a substance. And mm-hmm. I took my black and white thinking, I took my perfectionism, I took all of that into this other program and I was so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. And this second program that I'm speaking of has you set your own bottom lines. And so you can sit in Um, in a meeting and everyone's bottom lines are different. And so some people might say, I try not to have sex with more than one person in one day. And some people might say, you know, no sex outside of a committed relationship, which was one of mine. Uh So I went in and set my own bottom lines and I set them so strict. I set, you know, no sex outside of a committed relationship, no dating until I work the steps, no flirting or intrigue because I learned that I walked through life like, I would walk into a room and think, who can I, who can I manipulate here? Who can I seduce here? You like and actively thought that? It, no, no way. It wasn't actively. It was so deeply ingrained in my brain. Okay. And I, was, I, I was, I was about to say, <laughs> I damn, that's that. fucking crazy. <laughs> no. And you know what, you guys, like I was, I was sober from alcohol and I had done a thorough fourth and fifth step and I did a 10 step on a regular basis and I prayed and meditated and I was of service. And mm-hmm. I was still fucked up. Yeah, we're crazy way. as shit. And, yeah, <laughs> super crazy. And and so I was excited to speak here and talk about this because, you know, it's nice to be able to talk about, like, my all-encompassing addiction and all-encompassing sobriety because I got sober from substances and I was still crazy as fuck. Yeah. And I was suffering as a result of it. Mm-hmm. I was miserable because I wanted to connect but I was connecting through trying to manipulate and seduce everyone that I was around. And I couldn't be loyal. I couldn't, you know, be in a committed relationship. I didn't know how. And so I needed another group of people that were working on the same thing. And I needed to be able to talk about that in a group, because if you try to bring that up in a sober fellowship, you know, some people will look at you like you're crazy and that's because they don't get, this other type of addiction. Mm-hmm. But basically I took my very like black and white, like, you know, don't drink, go to meetings. And I took that into this relationship program and I was very miserable. Like, so I thought I cannot break bottom line. So I have to walk around in the world. just looking at the ground. Don't make eye contact. And, you know, I did that for a while and I felt really secluded and terrible. And, uh, you know, so I shared about it with some really wise people in the Sober Fellowship. And they said, you know, I think you're being really hard on yourself. And, you know, maybe just take a step back and take a deep breath and think about a way forward. And so I did that. 
And, you know, I was also listening to your guys' podcast at this time where you said, like, whatever it takes to just keep moving forward and become healthier every day, like, there's so many tools that you can use for that. Mm -hmm. So I basically took a step back from this relationship fellowship and I found a different fellowship. I also think that I got addicted to recovery at some point, and I'm kind of recovering from that addiction right now. So what I do is I go Eric's to the sober fellowship. To Eric's like, yes, me too. Uh-huh. Yeah, that yeah, and years it's ago. it's not a great place to be. I was going to like six or seven meetings a week, and mm-hmm. like I had no time to myself. I was being so hard on myself. So when I like took a step back, I I really did like hear this voice that said, um, "Okay, so there's another program for children of alcoholics," and so I. I went into a meeting there and you guys, it is so gentle. It is like, you know, the steps will restore us to clarity, not sanity. Like I don't have to think of myself as insane anymore. And I um, like that a lot. You know, I'm very fresh. Isn't that beautiful? It and really is. The steps in that program. Yeah. And you know, I really needed the sober fellowship and I needed the black and white and I needed the very rigid, rules and I needed my sponsor to be hard on me at first. And, and then I was, I was being so like judgmental of myself. And, you know, at one point I, I really didn't discover meditation like on a regular basis in a group until I was like about a year and a half or two years sober. And now I always attend meditation meetings. Mm. And so where I'm at right now in my program is that I go to my sober fellowship. You know, I've got like my two or three core meetings that I go to a week. And then I go to only one outside meeting besides that right now. And, um, I'm, I'm staying strict with that. Even when I feel like, Oh, I need more. Like I'm struggling. I just say, what if you sit and meditate? What if you make a phone call? Like, um, from that relationship um, fellowship, I have a list of top lines. So not only did we make bottom lines, we also made top lines and I'll share them with you. Um, You know, I've got yoga on there, walking, reading, journaling, call my sponsor, be in nature, connect with healthy women. Um, Podcast is on here, you know, listening to a podcast, follow through with commitments, (laughs) do service work, go to 12 step meetings, Spin class, you know, I like to spin as well as go to yoga. They're a good yin and yang for me. Uh, Meditation, prayer, and resting. And so, you know, for me, 12-step meetings are one of many tools for recovery. Exercise is really important for me to get my mind right. Meditation is, you know, zoning out and listening to a podcast. You know, it really does fill up my cup. And so... You know, truly, I'm not just sucking up to you guys, but like this podcast has so expanded my mind because when I first started listening, like really, I would listen to some of your episodes and I would say like, well, they're not committed enough to their program because you're like, no, it takes all different things. I'm like, nope, it takes one thing. Like you just need to work your program and go to meetings and nothing else Mm -hmm. like that black and white thinking. And so like you guys really helped me zoom out and say, no, this is one tool of many and that has so helped me like be more gentle with myself and not be addicted to 
recovery anymore and to just say, this is where I'm at today and I accept myself and I love myself. And, you know, the fellowship that I'm active in now that deals with children of alcoholics talks about connecting with your inner child. Like, Mm. what does my inner child want to do today? And I have to create space to let her talk and say, I want to go for a walk. I want to go to the beach. You know, whatever she wants to do, I want to sit on the grass and read a book and you know, right now I've made a commitment to listen to her when she talks because for too long I've stuffed all of that down and I've been thinking and moving with my brain and not my heart. And so, like, that's my biggest focus right now and it's a way better place to live. And, uh, you know, just accepting that I'm not perfect right now, I'm never going to be perfect, but all I can do is commit to being a little bit better every day and having an open mind and heart when I listen to other people who are, who are doing this thing and that have been doing it longer or that are brand new, but have wisdom, you know, that I haven't necessarily grasped onto yet. So, um, I think that's my story guys. That was awesome. Fantastic. It's great. Fantastic. (laughs) Like I, I got so much out of that. I feel so good right now. Like, cool. Oh my God. Yeah, we definitely have some questions uh-huh. for you. We definitely have questions. Can, I'm going to go first. Actually. Yeah, you're going to go first. I'm gonna go first. I, I need to process. That brought like a, yeah. that, that, you, you that kinda, last couple minutes hit me right in yeah, the feels. You almost um, made David cry. But, yeah. I mean, that's like kind of an accomplishment, uh-huh. but David cries a lot. So are you going to cry? Are you okay? I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> All right. So, Ashley, that was awesome. Um, yeah. So Thank you. I want to like... We're gonna. I'm gonna hit the spot right where you like kind of finished off with the um, right before you finished, where you were talking about being addicted to recovery, and I can yeah. I can relate to this. Um, about like, God, it was like seven years ago now. Um, when I first mm-hmm. gave recovery like a real shot, um, like I got super addicted to recovery as well. Um, I would hit at least fourteen meetings a week. Um, Whoa. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, I didn't have a job, so I was just focusing on recovery. Okay. Um, and, like, wow. I mean, I read so many books, um, and, you know, I was, like, GSR. I was, like, I had, it was, like, chair of H&I. I had, like, multiple commitments. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, like, I get being addicted to recovery. And, you know, how how difficult, like, for me, it was kind of weird. It was just, like, for one day I was like super into it. And then for some reason I was just like, I think, I think I started a business and that kind of changed my motivations. Cause like I had something to put focus in and, um, mm-hmm. some of the luster of, of like fellowship recovery, like I lost it. Like, you know, cause a lot of like the higher power at that point in time was like fellowship and the program. And like sometimes fellowship fails you. And then that like kind of chips away at it. Like, how mm-hmm. how difficult was it for you to um, Luna break kind of like that addiction to recovery? Or it was really hard, and I still kind of struggle with it a bit today because. So when I was in the sober fellowship and the relationship fellowship, I had so many rules in my life. It was like here's all these bottom lines, and like I have to call this many people every day because. Like, I basically cut myself off from all, you know, romantic um, attention. And so, like, I was doing all these things, and, like, I would check all these boxes at the end of the day. And 
you know, when I, and, you know, I was going to say when I decided to step back, the process of deciding to take a step back was really long and really hard. Like Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew for like a month or two, like something doesn't feel right. And, you know, I actually remember a moment that I was like in Whole Foods and a good looking guy walked by and like, without even thinking, I looked at the floor and ran the other way, like went down a different aisle. And then I kind of woke up in the aisle and said, what am I doing? I can't live my life like this. And, um, you know, and if I would have gone back to the relationship fellowship, they would have been like, good job. I think, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone there, but based on my bottom line and my sponsorship, like that's what I was supposed to be doing in the moment. And I kind of woke up in Whole Foods and said, if I can't appreciate another human as another human, then, you know, this isn't the life that I want to be living. Should I be trying to eye fuck everyone I see? No, like that's not the life that I want to live. But I do feel like I've broken that kind of addiction mm-hmm. where I walk through life just thinking, what can I get out of everyone and how can I get high off of other people? Like I do believe today that I've successfully broken that. And so I kind of woke up in Whole Foods and said, like, I got to change something because this isn't what I want to be doing right now. I'm not happy. I feel very disconnected from really the whole world except the rooms of recovery. Um, And so, you know, from then on, I I had a commitment at this second fellowship. And so I said, you know, I'm going to ride out my commitment and I'm going to see how I feel at the end of that. And I'm going to honor it. And I really committed to meditating and listening to, you know, my higher power and what my higher power had in mind for me rather than what my brain and my checking the boxes part of my brain had in mind for me. Mm-hmm. And the voice that I got was like, step back. You're okay. Mm. And that doesn't mean that I'm totally free from objectifying people, you know, ever, you know, sometimes my prayer is like, God, please take this good looking man out of my, my uh, brain today because I can't stop, <laughs> you know, I can't stop thinking bad things about him, but you yeah. know what? That kind of works for me. If I can catch myself and say, Oh God, I'm really sorry. I just totally was thinking sexual thoughts. My higher power usually takes it away. Mm. You know, it's, it's all about for me recognizing the fantasy and saying, I'm ready to give this up. And it's really you know, it's that simple, but I did need a period of, you know, total abstinence from that. And, and it was hard, but it's so I guess like to answer your question, you know, I had to get to a point where it got really unbearable. Then I had to meditate. Then I had to listen to higher power and move forward. Hmm. Yeah. There, there is one other thing real quick. I just kind of want to touch on this concept. Um, I don't really know if this is a question, Um kind of the bottom line thing. Oh yeah. Um, and even the top line, but like from like a place of like, just, you know, kind of, I've never heard of that before. The bottom line. Neither have I. Um, mm-hmm. and even like, you know, yeah, for most fellowships, it's abstinence, but I like the concept mm-hmm. from like a harm reduction point of view of where it's like, this is the yeah. bottom line. And like, if I'm hitting this line, like I'm doing better today. Like I, I've never heard that. So I thought it was cool. I'm going to, like, look into that but, yeah. like, and read more about it because, like, I, I do think it's a cool concept. And if, like, you know, people can't grasp onto the initial abstinence of, that's you know, an amazing what it is. It's like, well, this is the bottom line, you know, and then this is the top mm-hmm. line. And, yeah. like, you know, let's 
That's really cool. I like that. That's an amazing like personalization. Oh, excuse me. Of everybody's recovery. Yeah, and I still totally, and I still use that today. You know, I have bottom lines in all of life, like not just relationships. Like I will not do certain things. Like mm -hmm. I don't lie. You know, mm -hmm. I don't back out on commitments unless I'm really sick or something. You know, crazy comes up and and top lines that I shared with you guys, like. I think that's helpful to, to anyone, but yeah. it's like, yeah. for me, if I don't write something down and kind of look at it, uh, you know, it can flip my brain. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. It's a <laughs> cool a little thing. Crazy. It's like a really cool thing you took yeah, from that fellowship, like you know, where it's like, you know, it, the fellowship didn't work out, but it's like, you got this like amazing, you know, top line, bottom line concept to now like, for sure. move forward with. Mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome. Um, I got a question. Yeah. Uh, how important is it in your recovery to really individualize it for like I just made up this question by the way. Um, to really individualize it for yourself instead of using um, basically another fellowship's standardized recovery. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to go by anybody else's meter stick, but yours and your higher your higher power and then discuss it with the fellowship for sure um again i kind of go back to like my top lines and for me yoga is huge and mm -hmm. you know sometimes in fellowships people say like you know meeting makers make it and Mm -hmm. uh, all the cliches die and mm -hmm. 90 and 90 and you know for me it's like a yoga class fills me up almost as much as a meeting and mm -hmm. so for me it's important that I make three or four yoga classes a week and you know my two to three meetings mm -hmm. and you know it's important that I get out in nature and it's important that I read and so all of those things come together to make me a happy, healthy person. Also, you know, meditation, which I know is part of the steps, but yes, absolutely. You know, this is, and it's funny because like, you know, in the sober fellowship, it's like, Oh, your program, that sounds troublesome, but you know, I do have a program and mm -hmm. 12 step is really an important part of it, but it is a, it's a slice of the pie for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Nailed it. You know, when I, when I, at my anniversary the other day, like, I kind of talked about that, where it's, like, my program. Yeah. People were actually really, oh, thank you. Um, Very receptive. People were really receptive. I was actually surprised. Me too. People were, like, super Good. receptive to that concept. Mm -hmm. um, I think the landscape of recovery is, it's evolving. Yeah. And I think we're seeing it evolve, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, I want to say, you know, one. I also think that it's... Sorry. No, no, go, go, ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, I also think, like, in early recovery, um, the rigidity is really important, or it was yeah. for me, mm -hmm. because I didn't yeah, know how course. to live life with rules, and I needed people to tell me exactly what to do, because I had no clue. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't even show up to work without, you know, being drunk or hungover, so I needed people to tell me exactly what to do, and maybe it's like, as you work the steps and connect with higher power... Then you are reconnected with that intuition, and then you can kind of have your program because you're not a maniac anymore. Yeah. Well, you're I'm less still a of maniac, a maniac. But yes. 
Well, I mean, yes, totally. You're growing, right? So, like, you know, you, you need sure. you need space to to kind of branch out. Yeah, you got as you, you grow. Yeah, a, a, a plant starts in a small pot, and as it grows, you need you need more space for your roots, more <laughs> mm-hmm. space for your leaves. So you you got to transplant yeah. yourself every once in a while to uh, accommodate 100%. that. All right. Okay. Yeah. I'm taking another question. Um, Okay, so you talked about in your story how you were, like, constantly finding, um, like, your own people, the people that drank like you drank, used like you used, Mm -hmm. partied like you partied, blah, blah, blah. So coming Mm -hmm. into recovery, what was more challenging? Was it more challenging to change those physical surroundings and get rid of, like, those people, those places, and those things? Or was it more challenging... Uh, changing the internal behaviors and the internal thoughts, and what were the challenges with both? Oh, well, f- yeah, <laughs> that's a fantastic question, Eric. You're welcome. It, that's a really good question. So, you know, I was so blessed with the gift of desperation that, and I was also so blown away by sober people living life in a healthy way, mm-hmm. like. I was pretty excited about it right away and I was pretty ready to just lay down, you know, my old friends and my old way of life. Uh, I was not ready to, you know, I think, I think the fellowship tricks you. They're like, Oh, <laughs> this is a place where we don't drink, but really it's a place where you have to change your entire life. Mm-hmm. So the internal behavior was so much harder. And, you know, in addition to that, like, it wasn't as hard letting go of my old friends and like you guys really some of my family too. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm not very close to a lot of my family members because they party constantly. Um, but I knew I had to do that. So that was a little bit easier, but what was hard for me actually was accepting people who loved me unconditionally. Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. People who showed up for me, people who were honest and people who called me out on my shit, like, and helped me change my behavior. Like, oh, that was hard. And still to this day, like, the friendships and, and, you know, just conversations like this, like, present, open communication still kind of blows my mind. And it's Mm -hmm. sometimes hard to, like, swallow. Like, what is this? You guys wanted to spend your evening having a conversation with me? And I know that it's not about me. It's about hearing people's stories because it's inspirational. And we're all like in this journey together. We're all in this boat together. Mm-hmm. But that's actually been one of the most challenging pieces of recovering is like accepting other people's love and attention mm-hmm. when they don't want anything from me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. All right. Eric. It's pretty beautiful on the day that I can. Oh, yeah. You can go ahead, David. You have two more. I, I, have, have, two. I have one more. Go Yay. ahead. Okay. I'm being, All right. Yeah, um, I'll let you do it. Yes. Third question in a row. All right. Um, okay. Now, some people in the Sober Fellowship believe there is a difference between alcoholism and addiction. And mm-hmm. do you uh, necessarily subscribe to that? Or do you believe that alco- no. alcoholism is just a small part of a greater... Uh, addictive um, problem. The latter, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's 
you know, like I said, I took alcohol away and I still couldn't stop acting out in basically chaotic relationships. So that was kind of the first way that my addiction manifested. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, um, let's see, coffee was a huge one at first. I would literally drink so much coffee that I would have acid reflux so bad that I would like be wheezing. Ooh. And chocolate, Ooh. like sweets have been a problem. Oh, it's all the same. And, you know, I, I sponsor women that, you know, identify as addicts and it's all the same. I just switch out one word and the steps and, you know, the word alcohol only appears in the first step mm-hmm. or alcoholism. So it's all the same, you know, whatever it is, it's, we're just trying to fill a void. Yeah. And I, you know, in my addiction, I've used a lot of different things and alcohol has been out of my life for between two and a half and three years, wherever I'm at. Um, you know, and I'm still an addict for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Fantastic answer. All right, Eric. All right. You took my manifestation question, kind of. Um, uh, I knew yeah, you were going to ask that. That was my question. But... I'm going to actually ask... Uh, you were going to ask her a stock question? I was. She had answered it so many times. I was still going to ask. You know, I was going to ask... She's like, clearly a listener host. because she went ask. straight for it. She ask. answered it in her story. <laughs> she did. All right. So then here's what I'll ask. Um, Preemptive I do, I do have other questions, but I was going to ask stock. I, I know. I have, I have so many I have other questions. questions. So um, I've been to the Sober and the Clean Fellowship. Um, and there's a lot of other mm-hmm. fellowships I want to check out as well. Yes. But it's, I mean, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, besides time, um, which, you know, there isn't much of anymore. Yeah. No, uh, there's never it's, time. Yeah, it's just not, as you get older, it's like time's fucked. Um, like, you know, like one of the fellowships I've always wanted to like go to is one, um, I mean, I won't say the name of it, but you know which one I want to go to, David. Um, the science-based? Science-based, yeah. Science we'll call it the science re- one. The yeah, there we go. science-based recovery. Um, so, like... And it's hard to like go to a new place where you don't know anyone and you have to rebuild a network and you have uh-huh. to redo all the same fucking yeah. shit that you just did in a different fellowship. Yep. Like, I'll go with you, buddy. You know what I mean? Like, but you we'll know, hold hands. think about how many times I've moved, but I always come back to the same place in the same fellowship where I know everyone. Yeah. So like how mm-hmm. difficult was it for you to go to another fellowship and have to do all the same things all over again? Oh, that's a good question. That is a really good question, and it's it's been super hard. And I guess in addition to finding new fellowships in the past, well, so I found the relationship fellowship about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I moved from the western suburbs in Illinois to the northern suburbs uh, about five months ago, and then I just started um, the adult children fellowship about two months ago. And so I've had a ton of, like, you know, you walk into a new meeting. Is anyone mm-hmm. here for the first time? Yes. Is this anyone's first meeting? Damn hate, it. Yes. I, I hate that question. Um, yeah. And not only new fellowships, but also all new sober meetings and trying to find my home group and, you know, walking into new meetings saying, oh, please, can this be one that sticks? I really want to make this my home group. It's close to my house. It fits into my schedule. And then just have it be like, you know, something that I can't do is be in a sober group with men who are, you know, coming on to me or onto other women. Like I can't, 
it yeah. messes with my other recovery. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of that going on. Like I go to really, I was going to 7 a.m. meetings that had like 50 plus people in them, but the men were so slimy. Not all of the men, like, and that's something I've had to accept lately too, is like, not all men are like <laughs> just out there for sex. And so I've had to challenge myself to make friends with healthy men. Like, you guys aren't all bad, you know? And, um, but yeah, walking into a new room is so hard. Moving to a new place is so hard. Yeah. And it's especially hard when I have expectations. And so mm. I've just, expectations and comparing are two things that I really have to look out for. And if I can walk in with a clear mind and an open heart, it always goes way better than if I walk in and say, this is bullshit. I, you know, I can't believe I have to go to another fellowship. You know, if I can kind of switch that thinking to like, wow, I get to change and grow and maybe learn something today. You know what? My best women friends ever are from my second fellowship. Mm. And, uh, you know, they just, they live with such strong morals. Like we went to the beach together like a couple weeks ago and and when we're there, we can just sit and connect with each other. We're not like looking around for, for trouble or chaos. Right. And mm-hmm. we're all so on the same page and we connect deeper actually than I ever did in the sober fellowship, because that's a deeper wound that we were trying to heal. Mm. So I think like, as I have found my deeper wounds and deeper needs for healing, I have found closer friends. So it's hard, but it's worth it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Um, all right. My final question will be, I don't know. I was about to go with a stock question, but I'm not. I'm going to go with mine. Um, do you agree? Like, cause no, I'm, just, I'm not going to preface it at all. Do you agree that like the worst thing that can happen when you use is nothing? Like you, oh, I do. <laughs> yeah. I think I do because, well, the worst thing, I don't know if it's the worst, but it's definitely kind of detrimental to, to getting healthy. Right. Cause mm-hmm. I know, I know that when I was trying to control my drinking, the worst thing that could happen was I would have one drink and go home and wake up and say, I don't have a problem, Mm -hmm. which then just led me to another, you know, gin night, which nobody wants that. No, nobody wants that. (laughs) So, no. (laughs) So, yeah, I think I do agree with that. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, my sponsor said that. Um, he, like he acquired some clean time and then he relapsed and he went to a bar and he drank and he was like, and you know what happened? Nothing. Mm. Nothing happened. I went home, I went home and he was filled with that like sense of security or, uh, um, I don't know, arrogance that like, oh, see, I got this. I, I, I fixed everything. And then the next time you go out, you might have two and nothing happens. Then you might have three mm-hmm. and nothing happens. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But inevitably, inevitably. you will end up yes. shit-faced somewhere. Yes. <laughs> yep. 
Exactly. It's always a snowball effect. All right. Well, I think we have a Twitter question for we you. We do have a Twitter question. Take her away. Uh, I always have a difficult time with Twitter names. They're weird. So, you know, like this you, one you is some help? at Sanguini89. <laughs> Whoa. What is that? S A N G W E N I 89. Sanguini? Uh, Am I right here? S A N G W E N I. Sanguini. Sanguini? Gwenny? Gwenny? Sanguini? Well, we're going to say that. We'll say Sanguini. So we haven't... I haven't 89. Had, so, okay, since you're in part of the Sober Fellowship, um, I've been waiting for someone from the Sober Fellowship to ask this question. Um, Yay! How... And we'll, we'll kind of answer it as well in our own way, David. Okay. Um, you know, but how does one not anticipate the 12 promises? And then also it um, kind of... After this, it says, because I find myself frustrated because certain promises haven't materialized. Oh, okay. Mm. How does one not anticipate them? I think that one should anticipate them, right? That's, you know, I remember hearing the promises early in recovery and thinking, like, that would be amazing. Like, that's where hope comes from. Mm -hmm. And... The promises have come true for me in in many ways and many times, but I also have rough patches too, and I anticipate that they will come again. So I would say if they're not coming, you know, how can you deepen your spiritual practice? And Ooh. not only through the steps, but like my sponsor encouraged me to have a morning prayer routine and you know, it's not in the big book, but I journal and I try to meditate for 30 minutes a day and I do a 10th step every single night and I connect with other people in the fellowship. Like I make sure that I either make it to a meeting or make a phone call every single day. And when I'm doing all of those things, the promises do come true. Mm. When I fall short of those things and you know, then I feel disconnected. But the promises, it doesn't say that the promises will come true every single day. Um, yeah. But I think that anticipating them, well, maybe, I don't know about the word anticipating. Like, if you have expectations that the promises will come true all the time, mm -hmm. um, then you're going to be let down. But if you just connect with your higher power as well as you can every day and have an open heart and stay grounded and humble and connect with people in, in sobriety, be of service, like they will come true. Yeah. I like, does that answer the question at all? Yeah. Yes. Um, I like that David's raising his hand right now. Like I'm we're being, in class I'm or being, some shit. Being very <laughs> polite. Geez, very polite. I do you want to go? I, I mean, talk, I, I wanted to have a short segment about the expectations, but go ahead. Go no. ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off what you said, um, where it's a lot about um, really self-vigilance and um, being aware of your own thinking and expectations and where you're at. Yeah. Um, because in the fellowship I partake in. There's only one promise. Well, it, 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 There's only one promise. It's a three-part one promise. It's so, one promise. Okay. Shush. What is the one promise? I'm not familiar. The one promise is that we can uh, stop using, lose the desire to use, mm -hmm. and find a new way of life. Mm -hmm. Freedom. 
So that's, a, that's an a th- awesome promise. Yeah, it's a it's a three part one promise, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. in six and a half years, I have found pretty much all of those have come true. I've stopped using. Um, I lost the desire to use ninety eight percent of the time. Like yeah. everyone, like shit happens. Like I have, mm-hmm. I still have a brain. I have bad idea bats that fly in there every once in a while. And then you're like, oh, you call it a bad idea bat. Yeah, and then you just swat them away. Yeah, bad, yeah. A bad idea bats. It's a great shirt. Oh, I know. Oh God, that <laughs> is a great T-shirt. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, but like y- you'll have thoughts every once in a while. I'll be at a, a, a baseball game, and be like, oh man, that beer it looks good, and then it'll go uh-huh. away. And then finding a new way of life is um, something I. I it, it's not just given to you. Like these promises, they're not just given to you. It's something that I had to work for and i have to um, yeah and, and it's a consistent evolving basis i have to like like you said with like your expectations and and the vigilance and and monitoring um how how you think these promises are are manifesting in your life but it really it comes down to how am i manifesting these promises in my life like how Ooh. yes exactly totally Exactly. It's 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 yeah, not about and for it, me, it's not about working steps. It's about living spiritually, and like that. Absolutely. Is ultimately, what it is, it's about changing ourselves. Don't we? We can't still be that um, entitled brat that we were, and just saying, "Oh, I'm waiting. Yeah. I'm waiting for this to come to me. I'm waiting for God to give me this. I'm waiting for whatever my higher power to do this for me." And it's like no, you you got mm-hmm. le- you got legs, you got a brain, you can do some some of this shit yourself. Um, go get it, yeah. yeah. Go go get those promises because this is just showing. It's it's kind of like a carrot, in my opinion. That's just how how I take it. Like if you do these things, this is what you can get. And it's like ooh, yeah. I'm gonna stay clean today. And I think too. We have to we have to get out of our comfort zone, right? So like we will not regress regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Yep. Well a great way to not regret your past is to talk about it. You know, speak in a meeting. Mm-hmm. Speak on this podcast and know that your experience could help someone else. And the more that I say things out loud, the more that I can release the shame associated with them. Yes. And then, you know, when someone says, Wow, like when you said this one thing it helped me so much, and I think that thing, you know, like, if it was either easy or hard for me to share that, it's like, whoa, you know, I opened my mouth, I said something, and it helped someone. So I don't regret the past anymore, but that's only because I've gotten out of my comfort zone and shared it with people. Yes. So the promises come true if you're, like, courageous and yes, and go after them. Fortune favors the bold. What, what, what was your two cents there, Eric? I don't know. I just, I agree with the expectations. Like keep your, I like, I don't know if you're anticipating something and you have these certain expectations and they're not being fulfilled on a daily basis or being fulfilled in your timeline. Oh yeah. Then like you're just setting yourself up for, you know, disappointment. Yeah. And that shit's hard. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I go into a lot of things with low expectations because, you know, if you put high expectations, yeah. like, I don't know, you're just, I'd rather be, I'd rather try it like hard at something and then feel, you know, good about it than 
because I came in with like moderate expectations, then, you know, be like, all right, I expect the best. And then if I fail, it's like, oh my God, I See, didn't do it. That's how I feel with Marvel movies. I don't watch trailers because I don't want to get my hopes up. It's not I, the same. No, it is the same. the same. It is the exact fucking Jesus same. Christ, I want to go, I want to go not, in, like, I want to go in blind, just hopeful, be like, this is going to be whatever it's going to be, and I'm going to interpret it that way. Have you been waiting Instead for this of, moment for like a few weeks? I mean, it sounds a little pent up. You know what I mean? Maybe it, like, we go through this a lot. We go through this a lot. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot. You can't you don't have mm-hmm. preconceptions about your recovery and don't let anybody else's outside preconceptions influence your recovery. Like be uh, be as open-minded and and flexible. Be flexible in your recovery. Stuff like don't be rigid and expect everything to happen all the time. Just like you said, Ashley. Like yeah. it, it's not all going to happen all the time. Recovery mm. is going to fucking suck t- sometimes. Yeah. Period. Life. Yep. Life is going to fucking suck sometimes. Like there's going to be rainy days. <laughs> like it's just it, it's just like the world. Look at the world around you. It's not always going to be seventy five and fucking sunny. Like, some days it's going to be 38 degrees, cold, and shitty. I mean, you live outside Chicago. The weather there sucks sometimes. Uh-huh. And I that's 38 is yeah. pretty nice in Chicago. I mean, comparatively. I mean, Could to be, be fair. It's yeah. so beautiful right now, but, yeah, yeah, sometimes it sucks. Yeah, sometimes it sucks. And, like, some days you're going to get the promises. Some days you're not. Some days you're going to have bad idea bats about wanting to use. And then other days you're going to be like, oh, fuck drugs. This shit sucks. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be okay. Some weeks and months are going to suck. Yeah. 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 For so, sure. Sometimes when you it... Oh, you're going to lose loved ones and, yeah. and friends. And you're going to feel like shit for months, maybe. Yeah. But it will pass. And Exactly. And, like, when, when things are going good in life, it like, for me, I think it's like life is just, like like playing games with you because it's not going to fucking last. Mm-hmm. Like the good times are going to last. Mm-hmm. The bad times aren't going to last. It's going to level off. But the, yep. the real test of your recovery is when those shitty days come, when those shitty thoughts come, um, are you still going to be able to pick up the phone, call your sponsor, um, put down the mm-hmm. drug, put down the bottle, not like not go after it, not act out on your character defects, or your shortcomings and be a better version of yourself today than you were yesterday. Amen. Boom. There it is. All right. That's the hit. <laughs> as right. they would say. That is the hit, as they would say. All right. Well, I think we're one real quick thing. Real quick, real quick, mm-hmm. Eric. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. So I, we were we were Googling why can't I stop drinking? <laughs> And what did you find? First of all, I stopped because I started laughing so hard that I got <laughs> why can't I stop and then Google gives you a whole bunch of ideas of like oh no shit that normally pops up. What were they? So it's like why can't I stop burping, peeing, crying, coughing, <laughs> yawning, pooping, sneezing or farting? This isn't all at the same time. This no, is this the is list. this is the yeah. list of like shit that those are like the top 10 things. Why can't I stop crying? Jesus, I don't know, buddy, but Google doesn't know either. Why well, can't I, I mean, was that part of your search history, though? I mean, that's pretty high at the top, David. It is I mean, third on the know. list. 
That is third on the list. Why can't why can't I stop burping? You drink too much soda. Why can't I stop peeing? You drink too much soda. Why can't I stop coughing? You got a fucking cold, buddy. Go to the doctor. Why can't I stop yawning? Because you're tired. Go to sleep. Uh, why can't I stop pooping? I don't know. Again, go back to the fucking doctor. Why can't I stop sneezing? You got a cold. Go to the fucking doctor. Why can't I stop farting? I don't know. You got to change your diet, bud. There are your Google answers for the day. You're welcome, everybody out there who has one of those afflictions. All right. Dr. David is out. Okay. We would like to. So good. That was that was very good. All right. Well, we would like to now thank our guest Ashley for joining us today. Let's give her a clap. Great job, Ashley. All right. Um, We're going to give you one quick sixty seconds to uh, talk to anybody out there who's struggling, needs a shot of hope, needs to hear that message to get them through the next hour, the next minute, the next day, the next week, whatever. What do you have to say to them? I have to say that, you know, there's hope no matter where you're at, no matter how low you've gone. And you don't have to go any lower than where you're at right now. You know, pick up the phone and call the one person that you're comfortable talking to. Don't be afraid to walk into somewhere that you haven't been before. Perhaps, you know, a meeting or or therapy or wherever it is. Just start where you're at. Try to be honest and... You know, just try to do the next right thing and grow one day at a time like we've talked about today. Mm -hmm. That's it. All right. Perfect. Short and sweet. Love it. All right, Ashley, you did a great job. And uh, we're going to sign out real quick. Here at Podcast Recovery, we are aiming to expand the scope of support for recovering addicts. Accessibility and convenience of helpful services is paramount to combating addiction. We work to bring the message of recovery to every addict, wherever and whenever it is needed. We believe that a powerful voice of recovery should be obtainable, practical, and at the touch of a button. Every addict deserves to hear a message of hope, and Podcast Recovery is here to provide it. Everybody, follow us on Twitter, check out our Instagram, follow us on Facebook, leave us questions, like us, retweet, subscribe, invite your friends, invite your mom, invite all your friends to come share their stories with us because they're important and they're needed. But most of all important, everybody out there, stay safe and stay clean.